Well, good morning. I hope you have a great uh, Thanksgiving week, staying here, traveling, whatever uh, you do. I want to read our passage today. It's Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22, going through verse 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. This is God's word. Some of you have heard me uh, tell a little bit about this story uh, in the past. But uh, in 1999, um, during my final year in seminary in Southern California, uh, late November, I got a call from my dad. And he told me that uh, he, had some good, there was, he had some good news and he had some bad news. The good news was that uh, my sister was pregnant with her fifth child. The bad news was she was having some kind of strange physical symptoms. So over the next number of days, they began to run some tests. Uh, They initially thought it was MS, but as her physical symptoms progressed, there was a need for more tests. And on on December 28th, uh, we got another call from dad letting us know that uh, Kim didn't have MS. She actually had a brain tumor. Within a day or two of that call from dad, our our youngest, Sam, who was born on November 30th of that year, we begin to notice he was passing blood in his stools. He was hospitalized on January 7th for some tests. One day after we learned that my sister's brain tumor was inoperable. The tests on Sam revealed that he had allergies, and so Cindy went on a strict uh, non-dairy diet. But after a week, uh, the blood continued. And so uh, on January 13th, we took our six-week-old baby back to Loma Linda Hospital for more tests, have his stomach and his lower intestine scope. And that's just the start. We get a sense, right, like it was, it was bad news followed by more bad news. I remember thinking back at that time, sort of like being in the ocean and, and waves just sort of kind of just keep battering you. They keep hitting you. The reality was we were in a storm, the storms of life. The storms of life come, right? I mean, they come for all of us. It might be a health issue, MS, brain tumor, cancer. It might be a financial situation, loss of a job or just being underemployed, just uh, having a really hard, difficult uh, financial situation. It may be relational problems, broken relationships with family or with friends, divorce, It may be that you have a child that's walked far away from God. It may be a mental health issue. Uh, COVID has been a kind of storm that we've all been living through over the last two years, right? Sooner or later, storms will come. We all experience them. As as Logan prayed a little bit ago, uh, we live in a broken world, and, and storms will batter all of us sooner or later. Now, I don't know all of you, but I know many of you. And I know some of you are experiencing storms today. Not all of you. And for those of you who are not, like, 
who are experiencing sunny skies and calm winds right now. We rejoice with you. Praise God for those days. But I know many of you are facing serious, life-altering storms. Storms where there's no easy answers. Storms that create anxiety in your hearts and keep you up at night. Today, we continue our sermon series on understanding Jesus. And if there was ever a time when we need to understand Jesus, it's when we're in the middle of one of life's storms. So we're going to look at this passage that that I just read where where the disciples find themselves in the middle of a literal storm. And uh, in this account, account, Luke helps us understand some things that are helpful to us when we experience the storms of life. And so again, in verse 22, it says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. The lake that Luke mentions here, uh, it's the Sea of Galilee. Much of Jesus' ministry in his early days were around the Sea of Galilee. He, he spent a lot of time in Capernaum, um, which is on the northwest shore. This is the lake upon which some of his disciples fished before he called them to follow him as a disciple. So he gets into the boat with them and gives just a simple command, let's go to the other side. And so they obey and they set out. And as they sailed, it says, he fell asleep. You know, one of the things that we understand when we read the Gospels is that Jesus was often very busy, right? Never in a hurry, but, but often very busy. Long days at times teaching the crowds, healing the sick, ministering, serving, often from sunup to sun, sundown. He was always giving, serving, and meeting needs, and he became tired. I love that Luke gives us this little bit of information about Jesus. Uh, I think it's the only time in Scripture that we're told Jesus slept, but, but he does. He, he's God in the flesh, but he's also a true man. He experienced everything that we do, including fatigue. He was tired. And so in this time when crowds can't get to him, Jesus sleeps. And while he sleeps, things on the lake take a turn for the worse. It says, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in danger. When we were in Southern California, we experienced something called the Santa Ana winds. Um, some of you heard about these, right? There's uh, something that are called downslope winds. And uh, what happens is that uh, the high-pressure air in the eastern deserts, when a low-pressure area moves in, and that, that high-pressure air begins to move towards the coast. They encounter the mountains, and the air takes the path of least resistance, and it goes through the kind of the mountain, uh, you know, the gaps, the, the passes. And so what is windy becomes compressed as it moves through those passes, and what is windy becomes at times gale-force winds. There's no storm, there's no clouds, just compressed air moving downslope, creating at times very strong winds. It's probably a very similar kind of thing that's happening here on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level, and there's mountains on the eastern side. And uh, again, there's these kind of gaps that the air would press through, creating at times sudden gale force winds. And so probably these fishermen weren't like missing a storm on the horizon. It was probably one of these, uh, these just these gale force uh, downslope winds that struck up. Even if there were storms on the horizon, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And so they went. But I think it was probably just this, this, this kind of wind event that they experienced. And so the wind is so much, uh, so intense. The waves are so intense that the boat is filling with water. And they're in danger. 
all while Jesus is sleeping. So what do the disciples do? Luke doesn't actually tell us, but I'm guessing they're using their years of experience in boats out on the lake, doing what they can do, and they're trying their hardest to bail the water out of the boat, but to no avail. And yet all the while this is going on, they have the Son of God in the boat with them. They have the one who raised or healed the centurion's servant in the boat with them. They have the one who raised from the dead the widow's son in the boat with them. Surely the fact that the one who had done these things was with them would calm their fears, give them confidence. And yet we read in verse 24, and they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. In Mark's account, he actually says, do you not care that we are perishing? So they do finally go to Jesus, but instead of thinking clearly about what they knew about Jesus, they had seen him raise the dead and heal the sick, and therefore coming to Jesus with great confidence, they're full of fear and anxiety and a kind of panic, we're perishing. I love that the biblical writers don't try to gloss over these kind of things with the disciples. They let us see the good and the bad and the ugly in the disciples. And, and honestly, this is kind of ugly, right? That, that they don't believe that they don't have faith. But here's the thing. I can so identify with the disciples' response. I've been a Christian for over 50 years. I have what the disciples didn't have, and that is the full revelation of who Jesus is. We have the full account in the scriptures of, of who Jesus is and what he has done. And I also experientially have 50 years of seeing his faithfulness, always faithful. And yet when a new storm arises, so often my response isn't thinking clearly about what I know about Jesus. It's become panicked by the storm, anxious, worried about the storm. It's so easy to set my eyes on the storm, not the one on the, who's in the boat with me. But at least they do eventually go to Jesus, and it says, and, and he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Back in 439, Jesus had rebuked the fever that made Peter's mother-in-law sick, and it left her. And, and around that occurrence, he was healing many, it says, and the demons were coming out of some, and he rebuked them, commanding them not to speak, and they didn't. Jesus rebuked sickness, he rebuked demons, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And all these things obeyed. All these things responded to him because he is Lord. Because he's Lord over creation, the wind and the waves respond to his command. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he turns to his disciples and he says to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? After everything you've seen me do, why are you afraid? Why didn't you believe that I could and I would save us? So many times, Jesus could ask me the same thing when I respond just like the disciples. In asking that question, Jesus is not only pointing out that they should have had faith, but they should have had faith in him, the one who was in the boat with them, the one that they'd seen already do amazing things. After seeing 
what Jesus had done. It says that they were afraid and they marveled. They've been afraid of the storm, but now they a different kind of fear, this reverence, this awe over who Jesus is. They were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands the wind and the water and they obey him? This past Wednesday morning as I was working on the sermon, I was, uh, I was at home and uh, my office window overlooks uh, out uh, kind of the front and Wednesday was kind of a, wind, a windy day, and I was watching the wind blow, and uh, thankfully this time the leaves were more blown out of my yard instead of into my yard. It seems like it's, they're always coming into my yard, but uh, it was really blowing, and I, I started thinking about what would it be like to go out on the street in front of the wind and, and try to command the wind to stop. Like, I was thinking about that, just thinking about me being out there and be still, right? Thankfully, I didn't do it. I didn't want any of my neighbors... Uh, calling in on a wellness check, you know, something like that. But you know what comes to my mind is I picture myself out there doing that, impotent, powerless, unable, human. Can't do it. I mean, it's laughable, right? Humans don't command the wind and the waves, but God does. God alone, the creator, commands the wind and the waves. He created it. He speaks, and they respond to his command. The disciples knew this. The disciples knew what the Psalms taught. And uh, this week I was looking through this. This is all over the Psalms. 65.7 says, Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their ways, and the tumult of the peoples? Psalm 89, 8 and 9 says, The Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you Rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. See, the disciples knew that the power over nature belonged to God alone. And so in seeing Jesus calm the storm, they're asking, who is this? It's the same question that the people had asked when Jesus uh, had uh, had forgiven the sins of the woman that came to him. Remember, she came washing his feet with her hair and her tears, and uh, Jesus forgave her. And the people said, who is this who forgives sins? Because, see, God alone forgives sins, but Jesus forgave her sins. God alone commands the raging seas, and yet Jesus commanded the seas. Who then is this? See, the disciples are in process, and they see what the one in the boat has just done, and they know what the Psalms teach, and they look at that, and they look at him, and they're, they're making connections. Who is this? Oh, the one in the boat is the one that the Psalms talks about. He's creator. He, he reigns and rules over creation. They're slowly gaining understanding about Jesus. And this is a pretty big aha moment for them. He not only can heal and raise the dead, but he's ruler over nature. He's powerful. And they're seeing it in a new and a different way than they've never seen before. He's the Lord over creation that the Psalms talk about. And so that's what they begin to understand about Jesus. What is it that we need to understand about Jesus from this passage? 
I think there's a number of things. Um, we can get insight from this passage that Jesus really was fully man. He became tired. He's like us. He, 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 he experienced everything that we have. He understands. He can sympathize. But the main thing that this passage helps us understand is that while Jesus was fully man, he was also fully God. He was fully God. And as God, he rules over the forces of nature. With the word of command, the wind and the waves become still. He subdues them. He subdues them because he is God in the flesh. And because of that, he's worthy of our trust. He is worthy of your trust because he's God. And he has the power to intervene and to help in our storms. He's worthy of your trust because he's God. He has the power to intervene and help. He really does. And so how should this understanding about Jesus affect us? What difference should it make when we're in the middle of storms? Knowing that Jesus is worthy of your trust because he's powerful, because he rules over creation, my encouragement is seek him first when the storms of life come. Seek Jesus first when the storms of life come. Seems to me the disciples didn't do that when the storm arose. They tried to save themselves. Some of them were fishermen. They had some experience. They thought we can maybe handle this. They tried to handle it. Only when things got desperately bad did they finally go to Jesus. And unfortunately, I think this is how we so often respond when storms come into our lives as well. I know it's true in my life. I try to figure it out. I try to reason my way out of it. I try to work my way out of it. Too often I turn to Jesus as a last resort, not my first response. Jesus could ask me what he asked the disciples. Where's your faith? Where's your faith in me? After all you've seen me do, why don't you come to me first? Seek Jesus first. I think there's a lot of ways we do that, but, but one of the main ways we express this, this sense of turning to him, turning to him first, is by coming to him in prayer. We bring our fears, we bring our anxieties, we bring our weakness, our pain, we bring our confusion to him and we lay it before him, asking for him to intervene. We come humbly, but we come boldly and persistently asking God to work. We ask for his help. This is how we seek him. We talk to him. We pray. As you face your storm, are you seeking Jesus first? Or are you frantically trying to bail water out of the boat? Jesus is worthy of your trust. He's God. He's powerful. And he loves you. He cares about your situation. And so let us, as Hebrews 4.16 tells us, draw near to him in confidence that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Seek Jesus first. Oh, God, give us that impulse to seek you first. Secondly, knowing that Jesus is worthy of your trust, don't just seek him first. Set your focus on him, not the storm. Set your focus on Jesus. Keep him in your mind's eye. And th this isn't easy. What's easy when storms come it's to focus on the storm. But see, if you focus on the storm, what is fostered in your, our hearts is fear, right? 
If you focus on the storm, what's going to grow in your heart is fear. If we focus on Jesus, then faith can be fostered in our heart. And that's the response he's looking for, right? Where is your faith? Believe in me. Trust me. I'm worthy of your trust. Believe. And so we need to focus on Jesus. When Jesus is in the boat, it makes all the difference in the world. He can't intervene because he's God. He's powerful. So set your focus on Jesus and not on the storm. So how do we do that? Well, I think there's a couple of things, probably a number of things, but uh, two things I want to mention. We do it by coming to the scriptures, right? It's what we're doing here Sunday morning. It's what we do in our times with, uh, in our kind of our rhythms of coming to God. We, we develop the rhythm of being in the scriptures over and over again, returning to the truths that we've heard, that we've learned. We, we commit them to memory. We, we, we let them occupy the focus of our minds. We come to the passage like we're looking at today and we read it over and over again and we meditate on it. We read, uh, actually, you know, we've been looking through this sermon series on Luke 7 and 8. We come to all these passages that reveal who Jesus is and we set our focus on Jesus here. See, Jesus is looking for us to respond by faith. And if we just sort of say, I'm just going to have faith, but we're not doing anything that would foster faith, it's going to be easier to look at the storm. We, where we see faith cultivated in our heart is coming to the Scriptures, being reminded of who Jesus is. And so develop that rhythm of coming to the Scriptures. Immerse yourself in them. This is part of how we focus on Jesus. But I want to mention a second thing, and that is we really need to lean into the body of Christ. We need to be connected to others in the body of Christ. Uh, we were never meant to uh, do life alone in the Christian world. We certainly are not meant to do life alone in the middle of a storm. And so God has given us the, the family of faith, the body of Christ, to have others around us who can help us. Sometimes in the middle of storms, it becomes so disorienting and discouraging, and we get so confused. But if we're sort of locked arms with other believers, they can speak truth to us. They can pray for us and with us, and they can remind us of things that are true. We need to be connected into community to help us focus on Jesus. Now, here's the thing about setting your focus on Jesus. Don't wait until the storms come. Don't wait until the storms come. I've heard Steve say before, you know, you don't, you don't jump out of the plane and then build the parachute right? Uh, you build a parachute before you jump out. It's the same thing here. Uh, we need to make Jesus the focus of our lives today. Today is the day to make him the focus of our lives. Today is the day to, de to be developing the rhythm of being in his word. Today is the day to be developing community around you who will point you to Jesus both now and when storms come. See, if you, if you make today the day to focus on Jesus, when the storms come, you're going to be in a better place, a better situation to have a response of faith because of kind of, kind of the lifestyle, the, the, the rhythms of, that you've been pursuing when you're not in the storm. Now, I want to make one clarification about storms and Jesus' ability to deal with them. Um, he can calm every storm, Right? And yet it's important to know that, that sometimes he calms the storms of life, but sometimes he allows the storms to remain and he sustains us through them. 
Sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he allows the storms to remain, but he, he sustains us through them. Of course, we're always hoping he will uh, remove the storm, right? But sometimes God has other things in mind, other things that he's doing as we, we journey through life, as we journey through a storm. Uh, sometimes he uses storms to develop our character, our endurance. Sometimes he uses our trust in him in the midst of storms to be a powerful testimony that he uses in the lives of those who are now far from him. You know, God never took away the storm of my sister's tumor, though we prayed fervently, literally thousands prayed fervently and asked that he would. She died on October 26, 2000, but God sustained her through it. He kept her faith steady through the storm as she continued to make Jesus her focus. And God used her steady faith in Jesus in the midst of all of that to reveal himself to many, doctors, nurses, neighbors, friends, high school classmates. God had a different plan than removing the storm. He sustained her through it. In case you're wondering, kind of the rest of the story, I told you she was pregnant. Um, on April 14th, uh, she gave birth to a little girl seven weeks early. And uh, later in December, Cindy and I will be up in Michigan to see that little girl Becca, who's now 22 years old, get married. Sometimes we can tend to think that God owes us a life without storms. That if he was really doing what he was supposed to do, he would remove all the storms. And yet, God never promised us that this life is about comfort. See, God has other things that he's doing. Life is about his glory. It's about the advancement of his kingdom in this world. And so if removing storms is what needs to happen for the advancement of his glory and the kingdom of God, then, then he'll do that. But sometimes it's the remaining of the storms and the sustaining of us in the midst of storms that most points to his glory and most advances the kingdom of God. Either way, our job is to trust him. Jesus is worthy of our trust He's worthy of our trust when life is calm. He's worthy of our trust when we're in the middle of the storm because he's powerful, he's Lord, and so seek him. Focus on him. He is worthy. You pray with me? Father, life in this world at times is full of storms. And God, I know in this room, and those that are home at home, that... Uh, Many of us are experiencing storms in these days. God, we do pray that, that you would help us increasingly to grow in faith and respond in faith, knowing that, uh, that we have a, a Savior who is Lord, who, who, who cares, who can, and who will intervene. God, help us to seek Jesus first. Help us to focus on him. May we be people who cling to you in faith in the storm and when it's calm. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.